Welcome to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. Taxi to the Dark Side exposes the haunting details of America's interrogation practices during the war in Afghanistan. Stay tuned as we travel into the Dark Side with filmmaker Alex Gibney. You know, I was originally approached by a very angry attorney who said, you know, I don't like what's what's happening in this country to the rule of law. If I went out and raised some money, would, would you make a film about America's torture policy as it was, as it was then emerging? And uh, my father, who had been a naval interrogator in World War II, also strongly urged me to take this on. He was very upset. He had known Don Rumsfeld slightly, and he was just furious about what was being done in our name. So I decided to take it on. And I looked for a story to grab onto, and the story I grabbed onto was a story that, that had been written by Tim Golden in the New York Times about Dilawar, this Afghan taxicab driver, and by following his murder through Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo, and right up to the White House, it seemed a, a compelling way of, of personalizing this uh, very important issue. One of the things that, that uh, was distressing to me about the Dilawar case, and one of the things that made me want to do the film about him, was I learned from Tim Golden's article that on the third day of the interrogation, they had pretty much concluded that he was innocent. But they went and tortured him for another two days until he died. It was as if there was a momentum built up, a kind of incremental savagery that I think is in all of us, if, it, if left unchecked. One of the biggest challenges Gibney faced in making Taxi to the Dark Side was getting people to talk and tell their story about what they had done. It was very hard to get people to talk because I wasn't interested as much in, in the victims, even though this is a story that at the heart is, is a story of a victim. I was interested in, in, in people inside the system, the interrogators on the ground, the military police on the ground, the people who, who both engineered this policy and the people who bucked it. And it was very hard getting those people to talk, but they were both hurt and angry. I mean, it was not easy for them to come forward because, in effect, they were talking about crimes that they had committed, and indeed some of these soldiers had either pled guilty to or been convicted of, of crimes. Some of these guys were responsible for delivering the blows that killed Dilawar, but they felt scapegoated because they wondered why it was that their immediate superior officers, and indeed the, the officers and the civilian administration above them, weren't even investigated, much less prosecuted, for the policies that they were asked to follow on the ground. When news broke about Guantanamo, so did a story of an interrogation technique called waterboarding and whether or not it was torture. This is a technique that comes from the Spanish Inquisition. This is a technique that was used by the Khmer Rouge. It was used by slave masters on slaves. It's, it's not a psychological technique. It's, it's drowning somebody. That's what it is. You just stop before they drown. Some of these other techniques like forced standing, hypothermia, sensory deprivation. These are techniques that the Chinese communists used in the 50s, that the Soviets, that the KGB used in the 60s, and indeed the Nazis used in World War II. We prosecuted some of those Nazis, and indeed the commanders who allowed these practices to take place because they were thought of as so obscene. And yet now we're having an argument about whether or not these techniques are torture. It, it defies understanding from my perspective. Did you see this New York Times piece 
It's the article about the CIA destroying the tapes, showing interrogations. It's fascinating to me that they've destroyed those tapes because, you know, the testimony from some of the people, including Abu Zubaydah, who's one of the people on those tapes that they've got, was used to prosecute a number of very high-profile trials. So why is it that they're destroying those tapes? Uh, it looks like the cover-up of a criminal conspiracy. What is this climate that we're creating of uh, interrogations? Uh, what is that doing to the safety of American citizens? I think it's making us far less safe. The argument is we have to use tough techniques in order to protect our nation. You know, I would respond to that a couple of ways. First of all, we fight not only to defend our lives, we fight to defend our principles. I would say that, number one. But number two, you know, the goal of every terrorist is to provoke liberal democratic societies to contravene their own principles, to undermine the very things that we profess to believe in. And so in that way, the terrorists are winning to the extent that we torture people, that we undermine the rule of law in this country. But also, you know, I recently talked to Jack Clunan, an FBI agent who was on the counterterrorism task force for many years, who has interrogated al-Qaeda members. And he told me in no uncertain terms that uh, he still talks to some of these people who are in the equivalent of witness protection programs. And torture, what we've inflicted on some of our enemies, has created an unquenchable thirst for revenge. So I don't think it serves us well in any way, shape, or form. It undermines our values and it makes us less safe. And it doesn't provide reliable information. The question is, why do we pursue it? What type of uh, discoveries did you make in looking at this film? You know, one of the things I discovered was the kind of bind that, that young soldiers are, are, are put in in the field. Having talked for such a long time with some of these interrogators and military police, people who are just kids, really, out in the field, when their buddies and, and they themselves have their lives on the line and they see some of their friends killed, it's not surprising that the tempers flare, that, that, that people get worked up and excited. And it's in environments like that that they need a guidance from officers and from civilian leadership. And what they got instead was something rather much more cynical, which was, in effect, a kind of double whammy. They were told with unbelievable pressure that they had to go out and get more information. And even as they were told that, they were told with a wink and a nod, the gloves are off, do whatever you need to do. So, you know, I, I found myself, you know, surprised at, at how much, uh, you know, at how sympathetic I was to some of these people, including the people who killed Dilawar. That surprised me. The other mm. thing that surprised me was how dark, you know, this is called Taxi to the Dark Side. It was much darker than I thought, particularly in terms of what the administration was doing. Because over time, I think, whether it was conscious or unconscious, I think that torture became for them the cruelest kind of political trick. Because what do you get when you torture somebody? You get information that you want to hear. And when you're convinced that you're right, Torture is the perfect tool because it just continues to reinforce your own rectitude. But it's a dangerous, dangerous political thing for the rest of us. And it takes us down the path of George Orwell, I think. So those two things, I think, were, were the most interesting for me to learn. We hear these words like rendition and habeas corpus, but really what does it mean to American citizens? And what does it mean to, in looking at this notion of, of torture? Habeas corpus is the fundamental foundation of law, of Western law, 
you know, it goes back to the Magna Carta. Habeas corpus means you show the body, which means that a king, in effect, cannot summarily send people to prison or, or to their deaths without at least considering the body, the evidence. It's all about the presumption of innocence and the idea that you have to definitively prove that there is guilt before you hold somebody against their will. What we've done in Guantanamo is to throw that out the window. And it sounds funny. I mean, to some extent, this, this idea of habeas corpus, you know, you hear some members of the administration say, we don't want a lot of lawyers running around the battlefield, reading people their rights. But in fact, in, in the first Gulf War and in the, in the war in Vietnam, we had JAG officers out in the field holding what, they're, what is called competent tribunals to try to separate the wheat from the chaff, to, to, to see if you know, we had picked up innocent people or, or people who might be guilty of some kind of crime. We eliminated that in the global war on terror. And Guantanamo is a horrible experiment in injustice in the sense that 93% of the Guantanamo detainees were picked up not by U.S. or coalition forces, but by other people. And their attempts to prove their innocence are short-circuited by the administration all the time through these kind of kangaroo courts that are designed just to throw back their guilt at them. And there's no opportunity to really present evidence that might show their innocence. So what we've done is basically to destroy the very foundation on which this nation was built, which is the rule of law. That's the distressing thing. And when people see that in Guantanamo, it becomes a symbol of how we're not really living up to our own principles. That's why habeas corpus is so important. All of us want to be safe. All of sure. us want our children to be safe. And yet the politicians in this country, or some politicians in this country, have been very good at manipulating our fears and also pretending that torture is a kind of get-tough policy, when in fact it's the weakest kind of policy. It's the most panicky kind of uh, policy that's actually making us less safe. Um, but it, it, it does raise these questions. And, but you have to ask yourself, you know, is it effective? The fact is torture is notoriously ineffective because it doesn't produce reliable information. Furthermore, you have to ask yourself, is there another way to get that information? And the fact is, there is. In my film, we cite the example of a man named Ibn Sheikh Alibi, who was, uh, was picked up in Afghanistan, I believe, and uh, was being questioned at, at, at Bagram by the FBI. They were getting good intelligence from him through what's called rapport-building techniques, just talking to him man-to-man -man and trying to uh, use psychological ploys to get him to talk. But the information that the administration got wasn't the information they wanted to hear. So they took him away from the FBI, gave him over to the CIA. The, the CIA wrapped him up in duct tape, uh, told him they were going to have uh, unlawful carnal knowledge with his mother, mm. stuffed him in a small plywood box, and sent him off to Cairo. There they waterboarded him, and they got information that connected, made the connection between al-Qaeda and Iraq. They said that, all, that, that uh, they were, uh, th this was a guy who was talking about al-Qaeda training camps in Iraq. Colin Powell used that information in the U.N. to effectively promote the idea that we needed to go to war with Iraq. After we go to war with Iraq, we learn from the CIA, who admit that they were fooled by this guy, that in fact the information he gave us was utterly false. And he just told the CIA what they wanted to hear, and this administration what they wanted to hear. That should give us all a good idea of just how dependable and tough and sensible this torture policy is. One of the things, I believe it was raised and no one didn't cite, was the fact that the war on terror 
is a it's pretty much an an indefinite run, isn't it? It's a permanent war, and that raises the big question about Guantanamo. That's what makes Guantanamo different. How can you argue that you're going to hold somebody forever? They're not guilty enough to try, but they're not innocent enough to let them go. You just hold them there forever without any due process or rights. It's terrifying. You mention your film to someone, and they say, oh, this is just another I hate Bush presentation. How do you respond to that? This is not about I hate Bush. This is about who are we as Americans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, have we become something other than who we think we are? This is really about all of us. Um, It's not a finger-pointing film. It's a film that investigates how human beings can go over. Because part of this film, too, is about how, you know, in the absence of rules, in the absence of, uh, of guidelines, and in the absence of principles, human beings, all of us, can do horrible things. In a way, uh, Taxi to the Dark Side is about the past, about the recent past, and about the present, but it really points toward the future. I mean, it's really a plea for people to take back this country, to steer the taxi around away from the dark side, you know, and if it can accomplish that, then I feel that it, it, it's worth doing. Taxi to the Dark Side is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage.